My name is Zunar J5-9, Doric 4-7. Get me the Pentagon, red priority. You, you're a cat. He's the cat from outer space. You're serious? I'm serious. While you and I are talking this very minute, some slimy, green-headed, 12-legged creep could be crawling into the White House. You're trying to tell me that your little pussycat came from another planet, from another galaxy, in a spacecraft, and landed right here on Earth. We're up against genius. I gotta tell you something, pal. It's dumb. Very dumb. Welcome to episode 12. Episode 12! 12! Do- an even dozen episodes of uh, Invasion First Strike, the podcast that's about the Invasion crossover from DC Comics back in 1988, which we revisit tie-in by tie-in, issue by issue. We cover it all. I'm Siskoid. I'm Bass. And that's our mission. I never read Invasion before. You, you've you read it, so I'm discovering everything. You're rediscovering everything. Right, but you're rediscovering something today. Yeah, yeah. Because Absolutely. today we're covering Animal Man number six, which uh, Bass, you've read. Yeah, because I uh, I own the whole uh, Grant Morrison Animal Man run. It was one of my uh, I don't know all time favorite series. I discovered Animal Man with Grant Morrison. I loved what he did with everything. I had that moment that I can see you moment. I had that moment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it was great. I still have it. It's actually in my bedroom. Oh. Uh, so yeah, it's a great issue actually. All right. And it's a very weird issue, but it, it it's is. a great it's a great issue. It is, and we'll be talking about the issue in the first part of the the show, and in the second part of the show, we'll be discussing Animal Man himself and mm-hmm. our relationship to the character. Yeah. All right. So who is Animal Man? That's not uh, Superman, Batman. People know Animal mm-hmm. Man. Maybe not sure. Well, it's kind of uh, it's kind of a given that Animal Man has powers of the animals, right? Whatever animal that's around him, yeah, or yeah. is. In his scope, although those powers have changed over time. Yes. Back in the day, this was it. If you if you just uh, got into Animal Man after the New Fifty Two, it's now a horror comic, or it was yeah. when the New Fifty Two uh, started Animal Man back again. It was a horror comic, but back then it wasn't really horror, but it did it did uh, some very weird. I things. I think it was a postmodern superhero narrative. Well, uh, yeah, that yeah. would that would be that would be very accurate. <laughs> but yeah. the story is the the story of Buddy Baker, an ordinary guy with an ordinary family, which is very rare in comics. Mm-hmm. He's got a wife and uh, two kids, uh, except he has animal powers. Yeah. Well, he is also <laughs> a B. Well, he's like he's, he's a movie a stunt, star. Well, stunt man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's trying to have a career in Hollywood, more or less. Yeah. Uh, but uh, this is about to change as uh, yeah. as the series progresses. At number six, Morrison had to deal with a crossover very early. Very early. Um, we'll talk about Animal Man's career and publishing history more fully later. But we can say that it was supposed to be a four-issue miniseries. Uh, it sort of went to series. It, you know, seeing the the product and what Morrison yeah. wanted to do with it, uh, he was asked to continue. So it, w- it never had like one. One of four or anything on it. And so it became a running series. Number five was mind-blowing. We'll talk about it later. Mm-hmm. And so number six is already... You know, Morrison is just trying to find his footing. And already he's got to do an, an, a crossover uh, with an event. I wonder how uh, the people from... I, I'm guessing people are kind of uh, masterminding everything within the invasion. Or, you know, somebody's... Yeah. And, what are you going to do with it? And each and, editor has to... <laughs> and when they asked Morrison, what are you going to do with Invasion? They probably said, okay. Because well, this is very weird. For me, it's the best tie-in to Invasion. It's well, the best it, tie-in story. Well, we'll we'll talk about the issue a yeah. bit later on. But it really does something completely different. But gives some flavors and nuances to uh, characters that I personally didn't like. So right. it's, That was it's, one of the things. Because yeah. this is going to feature the Thanagarians quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Who are your least favorite aliens yeah, in the them. Alliance? I hate them. <laughs> least favorite being a <laughs> charitable. You're as mistaken as a thinking seagull. <laughs> but um, but yeah. So let's get into the issue, um, and then you'll see what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. If you haven't read it, and really you should. You so, really should. Even if you yeah. only read this one, you really should. Even if you just track down this, and a good way to track it down is uh, through the uh, trade paperbacks of the uh, Morrison's Actually, Animal yeah. Man run, because you want to read all of that. You do. You do. You really do. 
the story is called Birds of Prey by writer Grant Morrison, penciler Chas Truog, inker Doug Hazelwood, letterer John Costanza, colorist Tatiana Wood, assistant editor Art Young, and editor Karen Berger, the, the mother of the British invasion at DC and the mother of Vertigo. Let's talk about the cover before we head into a synopsis. All right, we have what we probably think is Hot Girl, or a version of Hot Girl on the cover. Hot Girl with uh, battle suspenders. Battle suspenders. <laughs> it's very it's very sexual, in a way, because she has, like, these thigh-high boots, and, and she's very warrior-like, you know, with the, the mace and everything. And she's grabbing, basically, uh, Buddy, or uh, Animal Man, if... If you want to call him that, and <laughs> and it's it's very action filled. Uh, she's on top, he's on bottom, and that's how we like it. And it's by Brian Bolland, who uh, is one of the best artists, full yeah. stop. But uh, cover artist certainly, and he did all the covers for Animal Man for a long while. Wonderful uh, at facial expressions and body language, and it's great. Very thin line, beautiful illustration. Uh, even without the background, the background is the sky. They're flying, mm -hmm. obviously. A nice cover. So here's the synopsis. As best as I could make it. <laughs> Meet Rokara So. He's a Thanagarian art martyr whose last performance has been approved by the Alien Alliance. Essentially, the life bomb he's crafted will project a fractal vision of his entire life as it detonates, destroying the U.S. Pacific coast, and making his life flash before everyone's eyes. He is accompanied by a warrior called Skalakal, who's on the cover, a woman who plainly loathes him and his profession. The performance is to take place in San Diego, home of Animal Man, who, unaware there's an invasion happening, is just chilling at the zoo with his agent, explaining how he wants to focus on animal rights activism rather than the stunt work he's been doing, how he's just become vegetarian, and so on. When a Thanagarian ship lands nearby, he suits up and gets into a fight with Scala, who almost kills him before he takes the fight into a lake, where he disables her flight gear and her anti-grav gear goes out of control and she goes hurtling, presumably to her death. As birds attack Buddy on Rokarak So's behalf, the artist activates his device. He hangs a beaten animal man on a tree as audience to his explanation of how the bomb works, which is kind of, works kind of like a Proust novel. And then he dies from self-inflicted poison. The visions start to cycle, searching randomly for his most emotionally charged moment, at which point the life bomb will detonate. But he freaks out. He doesn't know what to do, and a dead man can't tell him. We see Rokaraso's life, his difficult relationship with his father, how he never accepted or respected his art. And just as the work of art reaches its apocalyptic crescendo, a finger touches the sphere. It's Hawkman, who with a smirk says, all you had to do was switch it off. <laughs> And that's that's the story. Uh, we like big buildups and disappointing drops. Uh, but, but well, Grant Morrison is the king of yeah. Deus Ex Machina, and really. one of the reasons is that his everyman hero, Animal Man, is everyman. He's me and you. He's yeah. Uh, he's not very good at this heroing stuff. He doesn't have much experience. No, he's relatively new at it. At it, so he's he's so things yeah. things stop because they must. <laughs> not necessarily because Animal Man had a, a hand in it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that's what uh, makes Animal Man endearing, really, because you know he's he doesn't have all the answers to everything. He just he's trying to cope with everything. Yeah, he's trying to do the best he can. Yeah, and this whole uh, switch it off. Uh, all you have to do was switch it off. Is actually a, a leitmotif in Animal Man, it comes up again. There's another bomb mm -hmm. that's deactivated the same way later on. And you could say that the entire arc, the entire run of Animal Man kind of stops the same way because yeah. uh, without giving too much away, there's a tragedy in his life much later. And that tragedy is also undone in a Deus Ex Machina in the same way. We just had to ask. Kind of, yeah. Oh, you want this undone? You just had to ask. But it's very much the theme that we maybe, like Animal Man, have no real say in our lives. We are puppets of fate. We do our best. We but... do our best, but ultimately there are so many forces against us. And sometimes we need or and must accept help. And that help may be as mysterious as the trouble that you got in. So maybe that's it. It certainly <laughs> isn't this. It is. It really because is. Because as weird as I'm, I hope I made it sound, like as unusual as I made it sound, the story... It's also very strange and unusual for Animal Man. What, what the, you know, like the reader is going, what the hell is this? Yes. Animal Man also does this. It kind of becomes our voice in this, but uh, we get a glimpse into the Thanagarian life. 
that I never really, I, I never really liked Thanagarians, even Hawkman, you know, and, and the whole Thanagar versus Rand thing. I didn't really get into that, so I don't really care about any of these. Right. Uh, although, in this thing, this concept of an artist mar- martyr, and it's kind of, it's, it's still a warrior type uh, culture, so it's still, you know, destructive and Yeah, it's and like horrible. Yeah, it's destructive art. Art yeah. as weapons. Exactly. Art as a weapon of de- mass destruction. And that is, in itself, kind of you know crazy it's really because art is about creating it's about creation it's about giving life to something that'll go beyond you and and, and uh, he makes sure it goes beyond him it well that, there's a suicide there's a ritual suicide there's a ritual to make suicide. sure the art occurs after your life <laughs> yeah but everything once his life flashes before everybody's eyes everything is destroyed it's very weird but it's also a glimpse into the in into thanagar or thanagarian culture yeah we get a lot more about the culture here than in any comic until hawk world which is a, a reboot of that culture it's not the same yeah but you don't get the feel well I guess no I, I'm, I'm sure the Silver Age had probably Hawkman stories that you know took place on Thanagar and we knew what it looked like or whatever but this is makes them more alien where it's almost a death cult yeah. thing little moments like when um, when the artist's dad uh, dies mm-hmm. and there's a funeral ascent it's it's like a funeral pyre the, yeah. Like the, the corpse is set on fire, but it's, I guess, with the anti-grav technology, it's just sent into orbit or yeah. you, you go burning up. Yeah, instead of on a river or some kind of thing like that, right. you just, yeah. So you you shoot up into the sky, you know, to take your place among the ancestors or whatever religion yeah. th- this is. Things like maybe their medicine isn't so great because his mother dies in childbirth and it yeah. seems very bloody and primitive. Yeah, and it's very gruesome. It's, it, well, we don't see very much of it, but it's the images and the the idea of Thanagar is kind of all over the place where they are very weapon and warrior orientated, but it seems to be all growing from that. Mom dies at childbirth, but maybe she was weak. You know, it's... it's uh, Everything's very... through that filter... Yeah, and when he and although they have martial artists, mm-hmm. it's part yeah. of their society, and there's there's an, a whole honor thing that goes with it. The warriors still respect it, and yet his father was a warrior cast, you know, and never respected his choice. Yeah, uh, always thought he was a weakling, and they're all ifeats. These artists, nothing is so simple as. What we've been talking about this whole time, where aliens are exactly, all dominators are the same, all kuns are the same, yeah. all, they all have the same exact culture and very little variation in far, as far as looks go. Yeah. And we've been exploring that with different aliens. And the Senegarians have been very, very homogenous. Very much so. And uh, it just in this issue, we see different types of what I think are different types of warriors because we see different uniforms, different colors, even the ritual mask that the artist wears for the performance mm-hmm. is actually very different from anything we've seen in Thanagarian wear. So it's it's very, very, it's, a, I don't know, a refreshing glimpse into these invaders. They, they kind of humanize the invaders in a way, which is not fun, but you do understand that they, they have their own culture and they have their own thing. And well, they're not just I like invaders. it when the crossover events, like one of the books decides to go really askew mm-hmm. and do it from the perspective of the villains or the aliens or whatever it is. And, you know, the character you've been following can be in the background, and that's fine because you're following him issue to issue in any case. But that we get a glimpse into the the, the villains and then perhaps think, well, in this case, I don't think any of these Tenegarians are sympathetic. No. <laughs> not really. I mean, no. Not oh, not. you had daddy issues. You, you're still a <laughs> genocidal martial killer. Yeah. Uh, but it gives you an insight into their universe and how they think, which you don't get a lot of. Like one of my favorite, one of the worst crossovers DC published was called Genesis. Okay, I, I haven't read that. And uh, it's kind of a mirror to the invasion in a way, but it's got like a Genesis wave going out of the fourth world and then changing everybody's powers or whatever. Oh, okay. It's bullshit. It's, it's terrible. I mean, it's, a, it's a reason to kill off people and change powers. Yeah, pretty okay. much and dull. Dull okay. as dishwater. But the Aquaman <laughs> crossover in that is okay. like this. 
where you follow a parademon who has an inkling of sentience, which is okay. rare for them. Or you know, it's it's like an, th- that character, that creature uh, is wounded and then has some sort of epiphany about what's going on, and then you know, at the end, it probably dies or whatever. You know, it's just they're disposable. These yeah. these characters. Yeah, parademons are very disposable. Yes, it's even worse than following it through the the eyes of a henchman. They're just a cannon fodder. So yeah. looking at the story through the eyes of cannon fodder and the tragedy of that of the character realizing what's going on that made it the like one of my favorite issues of any crossover event ever okay wow well that's but, saying a but lot. the event sucks balls so <laughs> see that's see that's the mark of greatness if you can do something that that's incredible within something that sucks balls <laughs> yeah it's, it's that's something we got and something. invasion does not suck balls no, uh, no, but, but this is kind of, but this is still yeah, this is still up there. A bit yeah. like uh, when we read the that Swamp Thing issue in the first episode. Yeah, uh, that was like you know it's just another level of comics literature. Yeah, and yet it still inserts itself into what is technically pablum, which is the crossover event that makes you buy every comic. Yeah, exactly. But I don't think everybody can do that type of you know not everybody can write that kind of comic book within a crossover event it's not everybody who has that leeway i think uh morrison if he was writing the jla well he he probably couldn't have done something like this probably would though because he's Craig morrison and i think he'll do anything he wants but just because it's animal man and he's kind of a fringe type superhero it's a bit who cares Exactly. So you can't. I mean, you can, you get a lot of liber- liberty. Oh yeah. Well, he was free to basically do anything he wanted. I mean, it's San Diego. How many superheroes do you know who live in in San Diego? That's th- this one. Exactly. So you know, anything can happen in San Diego. And as the song goes, I don't, I don't know. Is, is there a song? I don't know. But but this this issue and 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 Animal Man coming into his own and I guess I'm still kind of in love with Animal Man from back then because I I really fell for this character I mean this issue just I don't know it's a glimpse of of I don't want to say genius because that's a big word but it's it's very 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 good Grant Morrison was at the height of his powers I mean he did a lot of things and then he went more experimental and he's mm-hmm. probably written comics that were a lot more intricate and you know like the invisibles or whatever but yeah. as far as something that's entertaining in a in a normal way and yet mind-blowing especially for the time it was you know animal man and his doom patrol which was soon to premiere those are the very best i mean that's yeah. my favorite era of his work you can't deny it that was that was very good i, I mean i i have i'm not a, a grant morrison super fan i don't like everything he's done his vision of mr mixiak spitalik within the new 52 with the all oh, the the fifth dimension thing i don't I don't know. Okay. I was, you know, I was, I was maybe too out there for me. I, don't I think know. you get tired after a while. I think so. It's just he uses a lot of the same tricks, or yeah. I call them tricks. I mean, he uses a lot of the same themes. He explores yeah. themes. He's, a, I think, he's an actual writer, not a. He's not really writing to spec. Like you, yeah. you know, you have to do this. He's looking at themes that interest him, yeah. and a lot of those themes come up again and again because they're the ones that the uh, artist is interested in. Exactly. Uh, but it does make uh, when he gets really prolific. There's a lot of stuff in there you might have read already, yeah. if you will. Yeah. So, so you know, I'm not I'm not one of those mega super fans who will just you know bow down to everything he does. But this run on Animal Man was incredible. You, you need to read every Animal Man from uh, 1988. What did you think of the Winks? To the Golden Age Hawkman. See, I don't or know. Or the entire Hawkman thing in, in there, because Hawkman does appear. Yeah, he does. He does, and, he, and it's uh, basically what I like to call the superpowers. Uh, oh, yeah, the, the action version, figure. The action figure uh, style Hawkman, you know, green short, uh, red briefs, I guess. Everybody had underwear over their pants back then. Right. Red briefs, green pants. Yeah, the wings, the big helmet with the big wings on it. This is the Hawkman I liked more than any other Hawkman. So I kind of like the way he just comes in. Because Hawkman at this point is a A-lister, I mean. Right, he, well, yes. Uh, he will be retconned as a fake Hawkman later on. Later on, as we've discussed before, in uh, yeah, when we talk about the Justice League. But uh, let, let's say in Morrison's mind and all our minds, yeah. pre-Hawk World, this is this Hawkman. is the classic Silver Age Hawkman. So yeah, so I actually enjoy it. I enjoy that a lot of the color scheme from this Hawkman finds its way into every other Thanagarian suit ever 
in this uh, comic book. Yep. But she's in, very much green and red and yellow. Yeah, yeah. And he's all green and red and yellow. And these colors, I'm guessing, are symbolic within Thanagarian culture. Their flag. or Yeah. But uh, I kind of like it. I like that Buddy knows how the wings and the belt work. Because he knows Hawkman. Or... Yeah. But that would make sense because he's an animal-themed hero. He's yeah. been around. I mean, he's not... Yeah, he's he's, not, uh, he's a relative rookie because he hasn't practiced much. He hasn't done much. But he did have, all, like, at this point, all the appearances he had in the 60s all happened. And the ones in the 80s all happened. Yeah, because... Uh, so he would have known another hero who has yeah, animal-themed. Absolutely. You know. And we only, and in the other issues of Animal Man, we, we also talk about his old costume, which was leather. And he stopped using that because it's leather. And, you know, because he, he became vegetarian and, and yeah. the whole thing. But, you know, he kind of knows how to beat. Hawk, man, girl, any Thanagarian, really. And uh, the way he beats her, uh, what's her name again? Um, uh, Scala? She's great. She's she's very... I like Hawk Girl and everything, but this one, this lady, she's a real warrior killer. She's getting the job done, and, and she's going out for Buddy. And I, I remember thinking, because Buddy gets hit in the head by this big mace. Yeah, it makes sense that he's very confused throughout... Because he's, uh, she draws blood. He, you know, oh, yeah. He's got a concussion through He's this. got a concussion, but you know what? At this point, while I'm reading Animal Man, I'm asking myself, why is he still alive? Because she pounds him. I mean, it, there's a chunk that, you know, it, he's getting pounded. And at this point, Buddy doesn't know his powers or doesn't really understand his powers. Like, he'll eventually know them. Yeah. So he doesn't know that right now he's already using Probably some kind of animal toughness type yeah, thing. Yeah, he's uh, the toughness of a rhinoceros. There's a zoo nearby. Yeah, so he's basically <laughs> yeah. every animal in there. But uh, but you know he, he the action once again and and this this happens a lot in the invasion. There's a lot of action. They're running. They're jumping into water. There. But the way he beats her is is fantastic because he I guess presumes assumes what's what's the presume doesn't exist in English. I assume does. Yeah, you can presume, presume and assume. Okay, I'm presuming and assuming. That he, maybe he thinks that there's not a lot of water on Thanagar. Well, anyways, birds in water. Yeah, they're kind of vulnerable. So he he gets rid of the wings, pulls her under, does a little thing with the belt, with the end nth metal belt or whatever you want to call it, and this thing goes nuts, and she just goes shooting up. It's fantastic. And once again, her face, this lady's face when she's up in the air and she knows she's gonna fall back, is great. But it, it, there's a lot of humor in this, yet action. Uh, I don't know. I just, I just love it. I just love everything in this. The other weird uh, connection to Hawkman is is the Hawkman of the Golden Age, where instead of an alien policeman, the Hawkman of the Golden Age was yeah, he was uh, a reincarnation of a Egyptian yeah uh, king because because we see the eye of Ra or whatever that eye thing yeah that everybody thinks uh, is kind of a weird conspiracy theory I think it's on the eye of Osiris or of Ra of which, yeah, whichever or, or, that is is on the ship and it's on it's only on the suit of the artist yes so and, and he's he cra he's crafted a vision so maybe that's the symbol of their cast yeah and that's why it's unique to this ship and this guy. But it also relates back to the Egyptians, and so, okay. That's very true. It, you know, because in this continuity, there was a Golden Age Hawkman who mm -hmm. dresses exactly the same as the Silver Age Hawkman, and, or close. Similar, yeah. And who was not a Thanagarian. Why, how is this possible? So if there is a real connection between ancient Egypt and their gods were maybe aliens who visited us. Maybe. Or... You know, the Egyptians had space travel, and we are Thanagarians. This is the <laughs> this is the space where we put that guy from Ancient Aliens who just goes aliens. <laughs> this is where we we put that gif right there. Is maybe Morrison or this comic uh, responsible for that jumbling of everything? The Thanagarian. Well, and... I think they had to jumble it because the, the real culprit is having two Hawkmen who are so different and yet. So yeah. the same. It's a bit, you know, it's even harder to come up with than the two Green Lanterns between it, because at least they didn't dress the same. Yeah. And you yeah. can't say, well, that's a weird correspondence. Um, I still don't know what, no, what it is. But, Alan Scott's powers, I, I don't know where they come from. I still don't know. Well. I'm an adult male. I don't know this. There's a secret origins about it. But anyways. Okay. The, <laughs> I will listen to that. Yes. The idea is that, I think, you know, I, I compared it to a death cult. Yeah. Because it, they're very much, I'm ready to die, but, you know, it's gladiators, uh, Morichery, everything. And yeah, so, yeah, it's very Klingon-y. Yeah. All of that. 
But the Egyptians also had a death cult. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but if you're going to build the, the pyramids, huge monuments that will define your landscape forever mm-hmm. as tombs, you have a death cult. You have a yeah. And if you, <laughs> if, you know, if the pharaoh dies and you have to put him in the tomb and all his servants have to put themselves to death and to serve him in the afterlife, you have a death cult. That religion is a death cult. You know what? As as uh, argumentative, this is great as a comedy routine. It's not very good. You're, you're very Jeff Foxworthy right now. You have a death cult. No, nobody worships that in that death cult anymore. No, there no. are other death cults available. Well, that's what happens with death cults. Eventually, <laughs> everybody's dead. Everybody's dead. <laughs> so yeah. So, um, the Thanagarians are yeah. drinking the Kool-Aid. They've also got a death... Well, they've got a war <laughs> Literally cult. in this. But here, you know, this character here, the artist, is expected to die, yeah. happy to die, and yeah. his whole life is in that ball. It's a death cult. The link between them and Egyptians, and I'm trying... You know, don't try this at home, which is get into Grant Morrison's head to see what he was thinking. <laughs> I, I think there's a sign slippery when wet. Mm. You should not try that. And he has a very wet mind, which, you know, where do these ideas come from? I have no the idea. The whole idea, his life will flash in, in front of everybody's eyes. So there's a pun. Yeah. That's a, you know, the expression, your, your life um, flashes before your eyes. Yeah. Oh, let's make that the weapon and make his life flash in front of everybody's eyes. Clever, clever Morrison. Yes. That's classic Morrison. But there's also possibly the whole, okay, I'm, I'm going to do the Tanagarians. Um, I have an interest in Hawkman. I like the Silver Age. Okay, Hawkman makes sense. Uh, Hawks and Animal Man, they're animal-themed. Great. And then birds, you, birds. Birds, and then you, you even see the birdhouse while you're yeah. in the zoo. You, there are hawks there before even the hawk people arrive. So, you know, you're just playing with those themes of animals. And Okay, I'm going to use the Thanagarians. They're Egyptian theme. They have an Egyptian theme. They must because of the Golden Age Hawkman. And then what were the Egyptians? Uh, a freaking death cult. death cult. Okay, let's do that. And let's do... All these ideas are coming together into this story. Uh, and that's what I liked about Morrison when I came to him. In Well, for me, it was like a little, like a year or two later than this, when I discovered Animal Man, when I came to, to Moncton, where there, there were comic book shops yeah. and access to all of this. And I bought whole runs of books that I'd missed uh, that, were, that weren't available on newsstands. That's what I loved. It was that he obviously did research, obviously read things that I now wanted to read, uh, you know, esoteric stuff, weird stuff. Yeah. And, and then used them in the stories in new combinations or interesting ways that you never saw superheroes doing. And so when I'm in his head during this story, there's a lot of that. There may be an autobiographical element because... I, who knows the daddy issue thing? Well, right? he's an artist. There's a artist martyr. I mean, and the character has uh, like a like the bald head, or actually I, looks like him. Yeah, looks like him. Looks like him today. He had hair back then, but did he? yeah, he did. Well, foreshadowing. He looked more like uh, the guy from The Cure. Okay, back then. Okay. Yeah, but I, I mean, you're absolutely right, and it, it, and it feels like he's just geeking out. It feels like you know this random geeking out where when I was a kid I loved like like all these gods and the Norse gods and the Greek gods and the you know and you know them all like you know all the names of all the dinosaurs and it feels like he's geeking out but in a an organized literary experience so it's it's fantastic and and a fractal bomb a fractal bomb a, a mathematical Fractal bomb. I mean, that has really? all your memories and searches for like from one thing to the other. And and this concept, yeah, and and it's ever growing and ever small. And the big is in the small, and the small represents the big, and it's all the same thing, but it's not the same thing. It's fantastic. Yeah, and in a way, it's also what's happening to Animal Man, where he's one person but connected to a network. Yeah, reaching out for abilities. So, you know, there's all those things are, are being played with, sometimes very subtly, sometimes very more overtly. But um, with this kind of work, there's always like a richness. And maybe we're looking too closely, but maybe. the story asks us to do it. The story asks us to look closely. Yeah. And if we come up with new and different things, then that's part of the magic. Absolutely. If you're just... Uh, and <laughs> I, I, there's this uh, there's this scene in, in this one panel where it's the birth of the uh, the artist martyr 
and the doctor is all dressed in white, of course, because I guess that's clean. And, but he looks <laughs> incredibly like the new supervillain Godspeed in, in Flash. Uh, I'm just saying. And this is like from 88. And yeah. this guy is... That's a really uh, fancy suit. It's very... Just so you guys for a surgeon. Yeah. I mean, it's got headdress and... And everything. <laughs> yeah. But it looks like Godspeed, honestly. Yeah. And the bomb. The bomb is pretty simple. It's one of those balls that you, when you touch, the um, electricity goes out to your finger. Yeah, yeah. That's all it is. Well, it's like a static ball. Yeah, I think I think it's... Maybe it should be something looking more like fractals. But fractals are very, very complicated. Yeah. Um, the ones they use are obviously like prints. Yeah, exactly. You can't draw fractals. It's math, basically. Was, yeah. You know, so it's it's very very. It would have been like a special effect, and I mean, it would have looked like serpent all over the place. Exactly. So I think it's it's supposed to look a little bit like fractals. At least that's what I'm thinking. It's weirdly looking magical, but it's too organized to be magic. You know? It's, yeah. It's it's. it's Almost looks technological, but not organic, but not. It's fractals are very, very funny that way. And I mean, a good idea for a super advanced science. Oh yeah, it works in this context as well. His other artworks are a little creepier. <laughs> I mean, he's got, <laughs> they're he's got still very sculptures. violent, though. Yeah, it, super violent. Uh, it's people with spikes in their armpits and um, all distorted. Like his dad, I would have crushed that. Glass he's <laughs> holding as well, just like Ooh, what? What? What the hell is this? Uh, it's not that I don't like you being an artist, son. <laughs> yeah, this is this is crap. This is horrible. <laughs> Where's the research, son? But but in this, while all these thoughts or memories are flooding, basically Buddy's head, right? Right. Oh yeah. I mean, it's totally excusable that he can't do anything. He's got a concussion. He's bleeding from a head wound. Mm-hmm. And all of this is presumably being projected to the mind of everyone on the West Coast as, yeah. as the bomb is about to detonate, or presumably, because we see it build up, and then maybe when it actually blows, then we get like a, you know a full dump of everything that was in the ball. I, it's uncertain. It's but, uncertain, but it's probably incredibly uh, overwhelming. Nobody would be just whelmed. I mean, look at Animal Man during this sequence. He's just he's freaking out. He's got. He's got a face that you wouldn't put on a superhero normally. I mean, he's shaking a corpse at a point. I mean, he's shaking this guy's corpse, telling him to stop it. Tell me how to stop it. And he's he's basically panicking. He he doesn't know what's going on. While we're reading it, everything goes so fast because we, we you know we go from you know big panels to smaller panels, and everything goes quicker and quicker and bigger. And you know everything is just. We're getting into fractal space, yeah, in a and, way. Yeah. And, and the drawings are blown up, but the panels are still small, so you don't see everything. It's it's very panicky. And then a relief when <laughs> Hawkman shows up. It's a full, you know, it's the yeah. last page is a splash page. It's peaceful, mm-hmm. blue sky with, um, you know, like a, a pink mist, like it's dawn or something. Yeah, everything's fine. Yeah, every, suddenly. <gasps> so even in the panel structure. Even you know, in the panel structure, they they work at the tension of it, and and, and I really love the panel structure in this because even when you see the finger clicking, because you see a finger just touching this ball, this right. bomb, and you hear snick, and you see Buddy just going, all of a sudden his his breathing stops. You see when we're in the bomb thing, bomb bomb mind, the bat panel borders have a little, they're brown and they have a little embroidery on it, which is. Probably Egyptian motif or... I don't know. And as soon as it detonates, that line, that motif, which is perhaps the fractal, perhaps like a... Actually comes stops with, you know, with little lines going... At detonate. At detonate. (laughs) At detonate. So, very last minute. And the panel structure is fantastic because you just turn the page and it's Hawkman. It could have been something else. It could have been, you know, the guy who's not really dead. One of the cops. There are a couple cops dead in the... Uh, like the only casualties of this battle are two cops who were at the landing site and then the two Thanagarians. Yeah. They're the only casualties. So it could have been, you know, maybe one of the cops isn't dead and it's just like, it's even it would have been even worse where somebody just shows up or his agent just shows up and touches (laughs) the, the thing. What is this ball? And just touching it. But the fact that it's Hawkman is, uh, comforting. Okay. Hawkman at, at this juncture, I mean, he's he's a Thanagarian. We don't like him. His people are invading. He's off on a mission, being told, hey, you're a Thanagarian. 
we don't like you. And <laughs> well, not really, but he's with the JLI. He, he he's not with the JLI, but he's in the same. Yeah, comic. while he's in with the JLI, and if we go with the retcon that he is actually a spy, yeah. Then if he's with the JLI, then somebody's watching him. Then he's fighting the Kuns anyways. Yeah. You know, let's fight some Kuns. Whatever, it's fine. Here. He's alone. Nobody's watching him. Nobody told him to go to Animal Man's side. Nobody ever says that. Uh, he just noticed that Thanagarian sent someone down, maybe guessed, oh, this is that part of the invasion, Yeah. Uh, and shows up and stops it from happening. There's nothing that forced this character to do it. So it puts the lie to the retcon. I think this, this is one of the elements that's hard to explain via, because of the retcon. Yeah. Unless, well, not really, because in the retcon, he is seduced by Earth. Okay. The, the real problem character, I think, is the Hawkwoman stand-in. Okay. I think she's more warrior-like, and uh, I seem to remember. So he is more swayed by humanity, and he would betray Thanagar. Okay. So perhaps this is the moment, this is one moment where he betrays Thanagar, and you know, eventually that leads into their story and how... Um, yeah, maybe. Because Hawkgirl's not there. They don't last for long, yeah. No, Hawkgirl's not there. She's not there. And it, it kind of feels like a Hawkman saves the day type thing. And I don't know if he's surprised to see Buddy there, uh, to see Animal Man there, but there's no explanation, really, yeah. why why it's Hawkman. Except, um, well, I mean, it's well, the Thanagar yeah, but connection. It could have been anybody, really. And the important thing, I think, is that it's not Buddy doing it, because it shows how he's such a marginal hero, how he's not yet ready for this. Mm-hmm. Even his ambitions, uh, which are about animal rights activism, isn't superheroics per se. No. Uh, he doesn't need powers to do that. No. He can become emblematic of it, of the movement. But uh, having a, like a major league hero show up, you know, it's it's never his role to save humanity. Exactly. He, he save the universe. It'd always be somebody else. And this happens here. Well, tell me about uh, when you when you read it, you read it out of context from Invasion. Yeah. That is, you, you read, like many people will, the Animal Man stories yeah. in order, and then but later than 88. Yeah. And then suddenly there's this crossover piece well, I had really no idea. When I read it, I, I was wondering what the hell is going on. But I, I still liked it because it, it was kind of a glimpse inside Hawkman's culture. Sure. So it was, to me, at when I read it first time, I was thinking, or I think I was thinking, I, it's been a while, uh, and my brain's not that good. Uh, it needs to be changed. I was, I was thinking Animal Man's like this uh, C-lister E-lister, he's not even he's not even listed. Um, no, you know, like yeah, Superman, Superman knows him. Yeah. Superman knows him, sure. but Superman's nice to everybody. So you know, when I'm reading it for the first time, I'm thinking, okay, we're trying to put him in context of where he is within the superhero society. So that's why he's being drawn into this Hawkman type thing. And Hawkman saves the day, and it's kind of it's kind of telling us, you know, you like this guy, but he's not that great. I think it makes sense. And reading it out of context from the actual crossover, even his other stories, sort of on this, often on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. And I know I called him this on my blog at some point, but he's like the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead of the DC universe, where everything's happening big scale, but he's you know he's reading it in the paper. Yeah. Uh, when it touches his life, it's like what. What, what was this? And for the reader, we don't get to know the bigger picture because Animal Man doesn't have access to that bigger picture. Yeah. I mean, he was in the Just League Europe like for half a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they couldn't keep him in because I think it hurt his character. He could not be central to the DC Universe. No, he can't. He has to be on the sidelines and, oh, today there was an invasion? Because he, he's clueless about this in this. He's clueless about that, and he's, uh, you know, he's a family man also, and he, he, his mind is not into superheroics. You, you never feel like he's fully stepping into superheroics. No, and eventually they sort of cut him out of, from it altogether, which I think was a mistake, but we'll talk about this in, uh, in a few minutes. We'll take a break now. Sure. And then we'll come back and talk about Animal Man. The man. The man. And the animal. Behind the costume. The animal behind the... My house. <laughs> Stick around. So we're going to be working together? Really? Worst film you ever saw. Well, my next one will be better. It's the Film and Water Podcast 
The Film and Water podcast covers movies new and old, classic and uh, not so classic. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, available weekly on fireandwaterpodcast.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. We're back. We're talking about Animal Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, we discussed Animal Man six uh, number six uh, fully. But what about the character himself? I, I wrote some little, a few notes, just uh, publishing history yeah. kind of thing, just to give you an idea uh, of who the character is. He first appeared in Strange Adventures number one eighty. Uh, back in 1965, creation oh, wow. of Dave Wood and Carmine Infantino. He appeared semi-regularly, um, like in a feature in that book, until issue 201, a couple of years later. And then promptly forgotten, really. Uh, in fact, they put him in the Forgotten Heroes. That was his team in the 80s. Wow. Uh, with Cave Carson and uh, Rick Flagg and other well other people from strips from the 60s, okay. basically. Yeah. And then he appeared in a couple of issues of... DC Comics presents with that team, sort of invention there, with, alongside Superman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he was in a Wonder Woman story. He appeared a few times, but it's not until Karen Berger lures Grant Morrison to DC that um, he gets his own book magically. That miniseries we talked about that became a series. So Grant Morrison was one of the people she uh, recruited as part of the British invasion, along yeah. with other luminaries they were good so uh, and all of that became vertigo eventually but at first they were given free reign on strange characters of people that nobody wanted really mm-hmm. very often like uh, neil gaiman went to sandman you know like properties that had names meant something but characters were uh, in disuse and they could recreate them as they wanted Grant morrison picked this up and then eventually doom patrol he did the four issue miniseries, which was more about animal rights and yeah. him and Buena Beast and zoos and. Yeah, that was kind of weird too because I, I discovered Buena Beast in that one. Well, where else do you discover him? He appeared like in three know. issues of Showcase or something. I don't. He's everywhere in the Batman, Batman Brave and the, the Bold. Yeah, they they just love him. But th- th- exactly, I think Brave and the Bold, the cartoon, has that. Uh, mentality. The, yeah, it's very weird. The very Grant Mor- Morrison mentality. Like, I want that ca- that strange character nobody wants. Yeah, it's fun though. I love it. Like Claw yeah. King. And, uh, yeah, it. you pick up all the, the the losers, the morts, as some of our friends would say. <laughs> uh, and then issue five, he had to. Okay, you've got to keep this going. Well, I have no story. So uh, the Coyote Gospel is the issue five, and it's a standalone story in which Animal Man is very, very uh, on the sideline. Very much so. And it's about Wiley Coyote, the, the Looney Tunes character, basically. Different name, but same thing, who comes from a cartoon universe, somehow finds his way into our universe, and our universe is just pain. Well, for him, because he gets blown up and he gets exactly run like over. Exactly like in his world. Yeah. But in his world, you bounce back. Cartoons bounce back. In our world, uh, you don't bounce back, no. but he keeps living. And it ends on a very mysterious panel or page where an animal man is just like quizzical about this. What was this? It's like the story happened and an animal man goes, huh? (laughs) Basically his role. Uh, But we track back and we see the artist's paintbrush. Yeah, We see the the artist's paintbrush on the character as he finally dies. The the coyote. coyote, So now suddenly, now it's postmodern. Now it's art commenting on art. Now it's, these are comics, and somebody knows they're comics. And some characters can feel they're in comics, and this will become important throughout the Animal Man uh, series in uh, Grant Morrison's run until they eventually meet Animal Man and and Grant. Yeah, they they will meet, like uh, (laughs) kind of like Spider-Man met uh, Stan Lee once. In the cartoon. But yeah. it's also very existential. Yeah. And it will become a reason for Animal Man to question his own existence. And what do you mean I'm just a comic book character? What do you mean somebody's writing my story? What do you mean somebody else will be writing my story? And the unfairness of this god mm-hmm. who is to us just another person. It was a book that yeah. was funny, weird, deep. You know, they had a second crisis in there somehow. You know, they yeah. fit in another crisis. The character went to limbo and met all the characters that DC had forgotten. And it's also very violent. And it, it's there's a full range of everything in there. And you you see how in this book and other books like it, the British Invasion books, basically, where DC is going to be pushing it until they become mature readers, mm-hmm. comics, until they need a label for mature readers and it becomes Vertigo. Uh, and... For, for good or ill, because it's not clear to me if uh, these books, the superhero books, fared all that well as Vertigo. After Grant Morrison, it's not Vertigo. Uh, there's a run by Peter Milligan. 
that's uh, kind of odd and takes place in an alternate universe with very sc- screwy superheroes. Okay. And then there's another run by Tom Veitch, or Veitch, which has Vixen in it, and it's more political, and it's still yeah. violent and all that. And but, but eventually, when you get the Vertigo, then there's um, a feeling like they need to be more horror. Yeah. And so Animal Man becomes an actual animal creature. Uh, he runs. He's not a superhero anymore. He runs the church, a church of animals, a- animal enlightenment or whatever. Okay. That's when they introduce the red. That's the the Jamie Delano comics. Okay. They introduce the red uh, as the uh, co- counterpart to the green. Mm-hmm. Swamp Thing's the green. So it's again the, the big network. The art is uh, more gritty, more uh, more horrific. There, there's a feeling that you need to go in that direction once you're Vertigo, because Vertigo's bread and butter was not mature readers' comics necessarily, but horror comics. Yeah. And Animal Man, Doom Patrol, all went a little bit darker, and yeah, it's the, not a great place for superheroes. It, and superheroes are, I mean, I, it's just my take on it also, but uh, in my opinion, superheroes can't be nightmare fuel, just because they are superheroes. Other than that, I mean, the concept of the red and the concept of... Uh, there's the gray also, or the black, or whatever. What is it? Yeah, they're, the well, gray they're, the whatever. rot. The is, rot is what they call the new fifty-two. But there was the gray, in, yeah, uh, which was like fungus. I mean, all these concepts are. are are great, and they do kind of Animal Man-ish type things. But when when you just take something that's kind of weird and 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 kind of crazy, and you turn it into nightmarish, it takes another form, and and I think that's where you kind of lose the Animal Man. I thought it worked well as a postmodern comic. Yeah. Uh, mixing up all sorts of weird ideas. By the time it hit Vertigo, um, you know, Animal Man was dying and being resurrected as like a Griffin kind of character. Mm. The art, the writer that took it over after that made him a sort of shaman. There's no costume. There's no superheroics. It's just um, exploring animal themes. Sure, animal themes in a comic called Animal Man and eventually killed the series. Uh, it died at number 89, which is a very it's good pretty, run it's for good. such a obscure character. Yeah. But I don't think, you know, I hardly remember the Vertigo years. It's really, Morrison's run is the best of the best, and then it gets progressively less interesting. Yeah. Well, the thing with Morrison, one thing I liked about him is he's not, uh, he, he doesn't turn away from ridicule uh not as as in he's being ridiculed but you know animal man's costume is orange and blue and he celebrates that costume all through the the entire run i mean with the second crisis where he finds this superhero limbo i mean you you meet captain carrot again the red bee yeah and you see these guys he embraces the ridicule for he embraces the weirdness of uh, of it all and that kind of humanizes him yeah i think he takes things that people would call silly and then takes the silliness and gives it pesos so you feel for these characters who have been you know used and forgotten and abused yeah. uh, who uh, are, draw ridicule from readers mm-hmm. readers will say well that character's stupid I don't want to see that character. Well, that character has feelings in the Morrison story. <laughs> yeah. And he knows that he's been rejected and that he's and that he can never come back. You have such nice words. He takes uh, silliness to pathos, and that's what happens. A lot of the, the things uh, Grant Morrison likes to use is just Silver Age tropes. Yeah. Which we have declared silly. Yeah. Since. And then he gives them a modern spin so that you accept that, yes, in fact... It, it's still useful. It's, it's still, still set, and at the same time, he always says something about the comic book uh, genre because he's using tropes from it, yeah, and re-energizing them in some way. I'm gonna admit that Animal Man was not my first uh, contact with Morrison. It was JLA, sure. Uh, his and and what I did like about his first it was like it was basically the White Martian invasion. I think it was the first four. First four. Well, I mean, it's a Martian invasion. Is there something more silver Defeated by a match. And, and, and it's, it's it's ridiculous, but it's fun. And the fifth and issue is the Tomorrow Woman thing, so it's exactly, exactly. doing the uh, the stories. It's doing Red Tornado. Yeah. It's doing the story of the android hero who is uh, you know a traitor in disguise and doing it in modern style. Yeah. And those tropes, there's a weirdness to it when you're doing it modern. There's a weirdness to it 
and it becomes unsettling and interesting, and you're in the characters' heads where in the Silver Age stories you might not have been, mm-hmm. uh, because people's thoughts in the Silver Age were about exposition, not yeah. about actual feeling. So, um, yeah, so he's always doing that. And yeah. this, to this day, when he does superheroes, that's what he brings to it. It's just maybe he has maybe less to say now. Now, Animal Man disappeared after the Vertigo yeah. years. Then he came back uh, in the late uh, 2000s in The Last Days of Animal Man by uh, Jerry Conway, okay. which was an oddity. It's Animal Man's Last Days, like in the future, and you get like an older Martian Manhunter, an older... Okay. Why does this miniseries exist? Nobody knows. Maybe they wanted to just... Who knows? Because then they knew 52 did it, right? Mm-hmm. So before the new 52... Everybody seemed to have plans. When you read the comics, they were all leading to something, and then it was like a a brutal abortion. And then the whole universe reboots. So plans for Animal Man? Maybe. Maybe. We'll never know, because every every other character had obvious plans that were undercut by the reboot. But you did enjoy the uh, New 52 series. Well, I did, because I never... um, Let's let's say Jeff Lemire. uh, Originally, Jeff Lemire and Travel Foreman were on that. Well, I I liked some of it, because I I didn't read it all the way through. I I stopped after a while, like I did for many books. I think it was very slow-paced. It was. It was. It was also one of my first uh, horror comics. I wasn't really into horror comics, and the only reason I read this one is because it was named Animal Man. So I decided to, you know, I'll pick up Animal Man. And I was like, all right, so this is a new twist, but it, it still felt like Buddy. And and this is one of those characters when you read Animal Man, you kind of call him Buddy. Like the same way you call Dick Grayson Dick instead of calling him Nightwing or Robin or... He kind of transcends the superhero. He he, Buddy's more important than Animal well, Man. Well, he's the guy that's gonna. This is how he would introduce himself. Then you meet him. He says, oh, "I'm Buddy. I'm Buddy Baker." Because he doesn't have a, a secret identity. No. And uh, he's too low scale to need one. Although yeah, it might be a good idea since he does have a family. But I mean, the, mm-hmm. the secret was up. But I mean, the New Fifty Two basically just uh, brought back the red and the green, yeah, and all of that, and, and made the two books yeah. cross over a lot. I think that's the part of the slowness because that that rot, yeah, uh, rot world series or whatever. It just and the two books were so the same, yeah, following this like the same kind of story, and then then they merged, and then they were the same story. So now you're you're reading twice as many comics, and the story is like interminable. Like they killed one of his kids, yeah. Oh, all right, we didn't mm. like that kid. Which one was it? The guy, the little the kid. kid. Yeah, uh, the boy. I don't know. Not Maxine. Not Maxine. Maxine is awesome, actually, all the way through. And we always liked Maxine. But the little kid, I mean, he was uh, he was a, like a bully. And we didn't like So they killed him off. That was kind of harsh. Uh, killing a kid? Yeah. Yeah, killing the kid is, is, is harsh. Uh, the wife was always... Fun. I always, Ellen. I Ellen like, was. Yeah. Ellen's always, one of the better characters in the series. Yeah, she felt like the same Ellen. Uh, I, I think one of the things that they did in Animal Man was not reject any of the continuity uh, from this era. So okay. basically, everything yeah. that you read in uh, in Grant Morrison's run that happened. Exactly. You know, so one of the things that wasn't rebooted. That's what I liked, but I did stop after after a while in the Rot World thing. I I kind of lost interest. Like I did for most uh, New Fifty Two books. I mean, the good ones, even the good ones, you sort of lost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I did enjoy the little bit I read, and it did give me nightmares. Uh, how these artists draw these nightmare-fueled, filled creatures, I have no idea. Yeah, no, Travel Foreman was a, and then Steve Pugh, I think, uh, picked it up. Uh, he did, yeah, they... I mean, it's teeth and fingers and, and eyes and, and mouths everywhere. I mean, I, just, I, I can't. Okay. Yeah, they have a Lovecraftian oh. creative energy. Very, very. Cthulhu himself would be reading this and going, eee, these guys yeah. look weird. But, you know, in some sense, I've read every Animal Man comic ever because of my loyalty to this run, this mm-hmm. exact run. When, when I picked this up, like I said, I was I discovered some comic book shops uh, when I went to university. Mm-hmm. And one of those comic book shops was closing. There's a tattoo parlor there. Oh, nice. The corner of North. And, okay. Yeah. Uh, and it was called, it was at One Million Comics, which is a chain. Yeah. And they were going out of business and they had a sale, which was 50% off, whatever the listed price is. They had the bagged stuff. Okay. And then underneath the bagged stuff was all unbagged. Okay. And the clerk didn't know any better. She wasn't going to check price lists when we were coming over with, you know, like huge piles. 
so she took whatever was on the cover, 125 here or 175 uh, Canadian. Okay. So half of that. Wow. Was the what I got on. So like series that were like mysterious and mm, what is this and oh I never got a chance to try this. I could get almost complete runs. Wow. And I had like one issue missing. So I bought all of Animal Man, all of Doom Patrol to that date, uh, all of um, uh, Legion 88, yeah, yeah. Um, which will spin out of Invasion. So I got like huge runs of many comics. <laughs> you lucky bastard. Oh, yeah. And then we went back the next day to you know, <laughs> get more, and then the manager was there, and it was not fun. Uh, it was not as fun. <laughs> you wouldn't let us off the hook on, on the price guides. You know? Damn managers. Oh, well, you know, and he's kind of an asshole to it. <laughs> what you going to do? Wait, it's his store. It is. It was. I mean, it, but going out of business. So how good was he? Eh, whatever. <laughs> whatever. That store has been dead for 25 years. And who cares? Yeah. But yeah, that run and then reading the whole run and re- really reading the whole run because by the time I buy this, it's already the Peter Milligan stuff. Oh, wow. So I read the whole missing like one issue or two. Gave me a like loyalty for life to this character. Well, it's a it's a wonderful even though run. you know every other run. It's just my... much weaker. <laughs> <laughs> well, weaker and you know what? I I never really read them. I have no idea. Once you started talking about the red and the green and everything, I thought you were talking about New Fifty Two. Just just a yeah, couple no, of minutes no, ago. No, the the red was birthed in Virgo. I, but... I know, but then I just I just shat up and and I just said, wow, well, wow, well, this was so Virgo. If there's another Animal Man series on the horizon, I, I will read it. Hopefully, I mean, this is one of those characters. It's one of those characters who can who can do stuff uh, within the comics, not power wise, or he can have a new perspective on stuff. And that's why uh, characters like Animal Man, and I'd use Animal Man because he's done it brilliantly. Animal Man is a great perspective for a lot of things. And uh, he should be, I don't want to say exploited, but he should be used as one of those characters who can who can look at something within with another point of view. No Animal Man comic will be just a standard superhero comic. No. You have too many good heroes, like strong heroes, to do that. Those kinds of stories. He has to be on the margins, yeah. and that gives you a different perspective on. It. And, and power-wise, I mean, he's yeah, he's basically cool. vixen or yeah. But why does it always have to be about the guys anyway? Honey, it's always about the guys. Still trying to figure out the proper Earth protocol for this situation. It's not like I can just assassinate you in your sleep, or I miss Thanagar. I'm just saying. You think you got a shot? Take it. I'm not worried. All right. Well, tell us wh- how you met uh, uh, Animal Man, uh, and we'll talk about it in the uh, in the comments section next time around. So stick around for now, and after this, letters from the front. Letters from the front. So which is the hottest Marvel character? Iron Man. Eight Man. I can't decide between Professor X and Magneto, so both. Loki. Is Wolverine Marvel? <laughs> What about uh, White Tiger? What about uh, White Tiger? Doc Samson. Star Fox. That's a video game. The girls go on a journey to determine every Marvel character's hotness in Ohatmu or Not, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe podcast you didn't know you wanted. Available on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Letters from the front. Oh, yes. Um, thank you for your comments on whatever platform you chose. And if you want to leave uh, comments on this episode or any episode you've listened to, you can do so at fireandwaterpodcast.com, which is the website where we host this wonderful show and many other shows. That's the best place, I think. But you yeah. can also leave them on Facebook, where Fire and Water Podcast has a Facebook page. Or on Twitter, please put the hashtag FWPodcasts. Helps us find it. Or on iTunes. You can leave a comment on yeah. iTunes. Always appreciated. So here are some of the comments. I must say, a lot of people... I don't want to rehash the discussion about um, classically drawn Superman. This is yeah. th- These are comments for Adventures of Superman number 449, by the way. In the comment section back then, we had a long, long conversation on what yeah. is the classically drawn Superman or more gonzo-style Superman. What's your Superman? I don't... Yeah. A lot of people went back and discussed it i don't want to get into it again you, you can go back if you want go to uh, we're we're walking forward now. yes fire and water podcast for all the, the whole discussion it's there under episode 11 check it out because there are a lot of nice comments interesting yeah. comments discussions that people are having get in on the discussion uh on facebook roy cleary says uh, he this is becoming one of his faves on the network oh wow high praise indeed thanks roy on the blog jimmy mcglinchy says um uh, excellent podcast blah 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 but he says i'm <laughs> You know, I don't, I don't want to. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, whatever. Right? Compliments. Yeah. Compliments. Compliments are nice, but, you know, I don't want to. 
yeah. talk about him too much. Uh, he says he's not sure how far ahead the Superman creative team's new invasion was coming down the line, but they did an excellent job of incorporating the invasion into the regular Superman storylines. Too often of late, you would see these crossovers as either one-off books where the regular subplots are tossed to one side to allow the writers to deal with the event. Uh, in both Superman and Adventures, however, both Stern and Ordway used the invasion storyline to accentuate Superman's issues, which were brought to a head at the end of the crossover. Hmm. So really using it, just the same way as Animal Man did this one, this yeah. time. Yeah. Use it. Is it is it is it one of the things that uh, makes it one of your favorite crossovers? Uh, I think that once you embrace the crossover and do something meaningful with it, whether artistically like here or for the character, like in the Superman books, mm -hmm. then it works. If you're phoning it in, you're just, you know, including it, mentioning it. Oh, mentioning it. I hate the phone. Oh, mentioning it. <laughs> mentioning just the it. thought. You got the banner on the cover, but he just mentioned it. Oh, I want, <laughs> I, you know, I want to burn that comic. Um, he also says, I may be wrong. We talked a lot about Jack Kirby yeah. because we, we did a little spot on Guardian and the Newsboys. Uh, I may be wrong, but while Kirby was a magnificent artist, the dialogue of his characters felt off. And he probably needed a good writer to help bring across his characters better in the dialogue, which is a frequent opinion. Yeah. I think a lot of people thought, it's true, the, the dialogue is stilted. It's very comic booky in your face, exclamation points. Yeah, but, um, but yeah, yeah, but it, it's, it's a valid point. We just, oh. in the gospel of Kirby, everything is so comic book. That it still kind yeah. of fits. It's got to be like that. It's a style decision, yeah. uh, although I think it's the only mode he could write in. But it's a style choice. Yeah. That said, yes, it's you know, it's it's like reading Shakespeare. Don't expect people to talk normal. Exactly. There you go. Uh, Shag says, well, he doesn't have anything specific to add to this episode. Uh, he just wants to, he wants to comment on how much joy the show brings him each episode, and says thank you for tackling this project. I love it. Oh, hey, our pleasure. It's, it's, it's a very fun project. Yeah, we're having fun, too. We're Chris having a walk. Franklin from Supermates says, You guys caught me while I'm in a Jack Kirby, Jimmy Olsen mode, having just discussed a couple of those issues in, in upcoming Supermates. Uh, nice discussion here. Wish I'd heard uh, this first, so I could have stolen some of your points. Well, it's still away. There you go. Uh, Gord Tolton said, couldn't agree more on your Kirby comments, amazing characters, though often I felt that Jack himself didn't know quite where to go with them. The Superman office of the late 1980s definitely did know, and that's why I feel Jack, untamed, is an idea factory. But his factory needs a paint and marketing department to truly make his concepts golden. <laughs> well said. Well said. I like it. Uh, Michelle Fieve says, another great episode, guys. It's interesting to listen to your take on this Superman era, which is my absolute favorite. The Kirby talk was just gravy. I recently heard that the fourth world w uh, was what Jack wanted to turn the Marvel Universe into. He wanted to end it all in the pages of Thor and make way for his new line of books. Obviously not the marketing direction Marvel took, but it's thrilling to imagine the scope of such a thing. So it, it was supposed wow. to like the... Yeah, the new gods were sort of like the Asgardian gods. Asgard was like, um, you know, new Genesis yeah. or whatever. So it was... It was always meant to be that kind of thing. He was writing at the time. He was doing uh, like Tales of Asgard. Yeah. In the back pages of Thor, and I guess it would have. Ah, you can't you can't help but wonder what it could have been. And if he really could have managed to like destroy the Marvel universe and turn it into this other thing. Yeah. But I don't think there's like a parallel. Once you've got free reign and a blank slate, then you create new characters. Uh, I don't think there's like a parallel. Like Mister Miracle is obviously Spider Man. <laughs> yeah, in yeah, a new no... in a new universe. Uh, who knows? Who knows? Uh, if you do know, if you've read like the uh, Jack Kirby Insider the, that magazine, let us know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Diablo Frank kind of lets us know. Uh, this time, Frank, I'm sorry, I can't read your th two-page essay, three-page essay. But uh, if you are interested in uh, Diablo Frank's uh, Diabolitudes. Let's call him that. Please go to firewaterpodcast.com. He talks about Jack Kirby. He talks about the genesis of the fourth world. He gives you a really good uh, lesson. He also talks about uh, Jim Starlin, which I kind of bashed, uh, the Jim Starlin of the 80s. Uh, so he gives you a whole rundown on Starlin and Thanos and Darkseid and a Mongol. And he defends okay. Mongol and, you know, we, I trash Mongol, but... Um, <laughs> You know, it gives you a full history of Mongol and how pre-crisis Mongol was cool, and then after crisis they sort of destroyed Mongol, which is the Mongol we sort of talked about. Really. Yeah, yeah, it's the wow. Mongol we know. Weak, weak Mongol. Uh, and he is going to let the dismissal of Starlin's 1980s output go, uh, even though that includes Dreadstar, 
one of his favorites years of all time. Look, I have no, no problem with Dreadstar. My problem is with Jim Starlin doing work for hire where he's using other people's characters or shared characters and he just never does the research, never makes them be in character. If he's doing his own characters, it's cool in the game. Uh, but what's the other thing Diablo Frank says? Ah, yes. This is an interesting comment, I guess. Um, after Lonely Hearts comes back from its hiatus, which is soon, it's soon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wonder if all my exposure to Bass from this show will help me differentiate the hosts better. <laughs> it's a great show with many interesting insights, but I unfortunately was still kind of breaking speakers down as Ciscoid, Familiar U.S. guest stars, French girls, and Naziscoid <laughs> were the characters. But I know who Bass is on this show for sure, so I'm reasonably confident I can at least level up to not Bass either. Okay, so Marty cool. and Fern can be not Bass and not Ciscoid, All right, cool. And That's obviously cool. not French girls. And as a kid who loved Marvel first, I'm a big fan of secondary characters like Captain Adam being elevated to the fore in a crossover while the overexposed Superman gets sidelined because it builds a broader universe. So Yeah, I'm absolutely uh, 100%. He doesn't feel the same way about Gangbuster. But okay, but that's I fine. guess Gangbuster was Superman. So... Yeah, yeah, but I, I do like seeing superheroes that are uh, powerful enough to, you know, to be yeah. A-listers and be pushed into that uh, and maybe make them A-listers. Yeah. And I think many of those characters, you know, go on to do better things. Because some A-listers I don't like, like Hawkman. So right. I don't well, I, yeah. I know. So there's room for... I'll take Captain Adam over Hawkman any day. Well, there you go. I am i don't know. I'm on defense. I'll probably get rid of another, a different character first. <laughs> I like, I like Hawkman. As long as you don't say Shazam or Captain Marvel, I'm uh, fine. That's fine. Facebook likes and shares from Clinton Robinson and Co- of Coffee and Comics blog, Paul Cornish, Robert Ward, Jonathan Brown, Chris Franklin, Rob Kelly, Ryan Daly at Secret Origins Podcast, uh, Gene Hendricks, Michael Wagner, David Foster, Nicholas Prom, Trekker Talk, Daniel Budnick, Gautam Shuren, Derek William Crabb, Mike Peacock, Thomas Burdinsky, Sean Emmons, Ruth Sutherland of Xenozoic Xenophiles. <laughs> Shag Matthews, Jay Jones, Shaw Strawbridge, Billy Lacasse, Martin Gray, and Gord Tolton. And on Twitter, retweets and favorites from Ange, Keith G. Baker, Coffee and Comics Blog, Aaron Anderson, Alan Milton, Tony Wolf, Comic Reflections, Dr. G. Nerdologist, The Hammer Strikes, Tutu Freaks, Michael Bailey, who has, says mad props to Siskoid for using a clip from the Masters of the Universe trailer at the beginning of the latest Invasion podcast. Yes. Because Fourth World. Uh, Sin, Hicks, and Trucker Talk. Google Plus likes and shares. Oh, we have one! Keith G. Baker, thank you. Keith G. Baker, you rock. Next time on First Strike, the Invasion podcast. Doom Patrol number 17.